Top of the day, everyone. This is Hot Garbage, True Crime Edition. I'm your host, Nisha, and this is my beautiful best friend and co-host. Buddha badass. We had an interesting experience with pizza today, didn't we? Yes, it was not fun, but <laughs> it was real. This drunk dude caused us to not almost get our pizza for like a really long time, which was crazy. I don't understand. Yeah, he looked like a bloated uh, and overly intoxicated Jim Carrey. Oh my gosh, and he was all yelling at the pizza people, talking about, you're going to chop me some mushrooms. I was like, what is that about? Yeah, and it's interesting how quick, like, people go conspiracy. Like, he was saying that it's a conspiracy, it's a government plot. It's it's funny how, like, people throw that word out there for different things. Like, no one's plotting on you in a pizza place. The government doesn't give two shits, man. (laughs) I I have a dude that, like, I I go around and I, I, with my actual job, and, and I see what houses that I visit. And he says crazy stuff like, yeah, I went in here and I started writing a paper about, you know, the injustices of the American system and how we are, uh, he said it was something like a Caesar polar system, something like that, Caesar, Caesar modernized uh, system that he's, you know, whatever the point is. The point is, is he felt like he was exposing the government and he was like, I, I knew I was on the right thing because the next day Donald Trump drove past my house. Oh my God! He's watching the Trump family. They break in my house and steal my stuff. His wife drove past. She she what drove came in the same store I was one time. And I'm like, bro, Trump don't care about you. Oh my God! Don't even know that you're writing whatever the hell you're writing. <laughs> so it's just interesting how quickly people believe like the government is watching and want to call that a conspiracy. Well. I'm going. We're, I'm going to get right into our case today because this is going to be a long one. I'm giving you a warning. Oh Jesus! It's not enough for, for me to cut it into two, but it is going to be a long one, and it's your guy. So I did this for you. I'm excited. Right. You keep saying this. You keep saying my guy. Yeah. Name, Jesus, Pete. We are talking about the case of Stanley Tookie Williams, and nice. it's going to be. This one has it brought a lot of media attention, and it was a big protest on whether his life should have been saved or not. Uh-huh. But we're going to go back to the beginning of this case. Are you ready? Let's go. Ready Let's to talk delve about on your homie? Okay. Uh, <laughs> you put that out in the air. I have yet to say that, yes. and I'm putting that on recording. Yeah, not little I homie. I haven't said yes. homie, or this is my guy. Yeah, or, Buddha I mean, has never backed Stanley. This case. Yeah. But, oh, I do back it. But I'm just saying, like, I, I'm just telling you now. I don't, so if someone be like, oh, you don't know about this. This is supposed to be your person. I don't know this case. I never read any of this stuff. So <laughs> she heard me mention it with uh, and using it as an example in another conversation and put that on me as being my guy. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is the one case he chose. <laughs> <laughs> you look for key words yeah. and sentences there. So Stanley Tookie Williams III was born in Shreveport, Louisiana on December 29th, 1953. His mother was a teen mom and his father abandoned the family when Stanley was only one years old. So, and his name, Tookie, his mom had been calling him that since he was a baby. So that's where, you know, Tookie just kind of stuck with it. Nice. So everyone called him Tookie. Now, his mother moved them to South Central Los Angeles in 1959 because she thought that, you know, California would be a better life than, you know, down south for them. Now, she had to work multiple jobs to support them. So most of the time he was on his own. So he was a latchkey kid and stuff like that. So, a latchkey kid. A latchkey kid. Remember how back in the day they, they call them latchkey kids when you just, you have your own key and you let yourself in the house. Okay. Yeah. So that's what you call a latchkey kid. Like I grew up kind of like in the latchkey time. I wasn't a latchkey kid, but I grew up in that. Like a lot of people, like they would have their little keys around their neck. Remember the little house keys around their neck and stuff? Mm-hmm. So you was kind of like a little adult, you know, it made oh, you feel good. I thought you grew up in an orphanage. 
Well, that's a long story. That's why I said I wasn't a latchkey kid. They wasn't going to give me the key to the orphanage. (laughs) (laughs) True. Uh, They don't want me having the key up in there. (laughs) So, so while his mom was off working multiple jobs to support them, you know, he was kind of out on the streets. He, he saw a lot of crimes in his neighborhood because he was left with a lot of free time. So the crimes that he saw was dog fighting, street fighting, alcohol abuse, drug abuse. And, you know, after the dog fighting, a lot of the adults would make the kids start fighting and, like, bet on the kids. So, Tookie got into a lot of fights and stuff, too, and people would, like, bet on him. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, basically, um, the adults would always bet that he would win because he did kind of, you know, get really, like, he kind of got started getting big. So, everybody thought that he was always going to win. But the good thing is he would get part of the proceeds. If, if, you know, he did win, the adults would share some of the proceeds with him. Well, that's nice. Okay. Yeah, it was. So after encouraging the children to beat up on each other. For yeah, profit. and these were some serious, serious fights too, right. man. Now Williams was also the target of older bullies and street thugs in his neighborhood. So by the end, age of twelve, he ended up carrying a switchblade. Now, by the time he was a teenager, though, he had gained a reputation in South Central as a vicious street fighter. So because of this, Williams was expelled from, he was expelled from high school and he started really becoming, you know, building his body weight up. Like he started lifting a lot of weights. He became 300 pounds of muscle at one point and his biceps was 22 inches. Mm. Yeah, that's huge. At that point, he started going to like juvenile hall and stuff like that. And he just started getting in a lot of trouble. Now, gangs did start kind of, because right now we have, like, the Crips and the Bloods. At that time, the Crips and the Bloods was not around, but they did have, like, local neighborhood gangs uh, that followed, like, the Black Panthers and, like, the ba- Black Power Movement. So it was, like, a Black completely... Black Panthers was a neighborhood gang, but I, I'm, I get No, it. like, yeah, the Black Panthers and the Black Power. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, that. this was the, the era that they was in. It was more like the Black Power and stuff. So mm-hmm. this is how kind of gangs started coming, but it wasn't what we know about them today. Mm-hmm. So at first, Stanley took he, he as he despised gangs because he saw them as like vicious, predatory. You know, he didn't like them at all, and so he did start earning the respect of many gang members though from the West Side. But these were like smaller gangs, and they were kind of more like neighborhood cliques. You know, that's what they kind of call them. And so basically, you know, and these gangs, though, leaderships was kind of, it was obtained naturally. So in these gangs, they would kind of look to see like who kind of took more charge and that's who would become the leader. So at 15, Williams was invited into a small West Side clique because after he became friends with another teenager named Donald Doc Sweetback. His name was Donald Doc Sweetback Archie. That became Sweetback one, Archie. Yeah, that yeah, became one of his man. best friends. So he became, uh, Tookie became the unofficial leader of this gang because he beat up, he beat up another gang member for insulting Donald Sweetback's mother. So he like, so this guy kind of talked crap about his mom and Tookie got in and beat his ass. So because of that, he was able to be the leader of that gang. Now, and so everybody kind of looked up to him. So in 1969, Stanley was arrested at 15 for stealing a car and he was sent back to juvenile hall. So there he was introduced to Olympic weightlifting because in Juvenile Hall, everybody was just like lifting a lot of weights and stuff like that. And so he started becoming kind of a bodybuilder. So when he was released, he was released from there at 17 years old. And when he was released from custody, the review board asked him, what did he plan to do with his life? And he said at that point, he wanted to be the leader of the biggest gang in the world. So 
And they just let him out. Like, well, good for you. <laughs> that was his Back goal. Back to society you go. <laughs> now, after his release, he met this guy named Raymond Washington. And he met him through a mutual friend. Now, he had, you know, he was very tough and he was always willing to fight and stuff like that. And so because of that, Raymond saw a lot of potential in him and they actually formed the Crips together. So him and Raymond were together. They formed the Crips. And Stanley said that the Crips originally was to create a powerful force to protect black people from racism, corruption and brutality at the hands of the police. Mm. That's what it was originally for. Now, it became one of the most notorious gangs in the U.S. And uh, looking back, a lot of people have questions and they, they want to kind of know because, you know, Stanley says one thing, but they was like, was that really what it was created for? You know what I mean? So there's a lot of kind of back and forth about that. I mean, well, it's not something in which they uh, held kind of reins on how it could be deployed mm-hmm. with their um, politics of their gang. Mm-hmm. You know, like... <clears throat> Even Hell's Angels, and I, so I'm just using that because it's a very famous gang and and, and I'm a, a simultaneously organization. Yeah, is they have you know lieutenant leaders and people pay dues mm-hmm. and you have to report in to certain places. You yeah. can't just get into stuff. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing with you know Crips and Bloods, is it, but it didn't have that infrastructure, mm-hmm. so it. Because the it became corrupted, and I mean, it still happens to this day. Where if you have a guy down the street who starts feeling like he's a blood yeah. enough, and you know he gets a couple of his friends, it's like, yeah, I'm down with blood too. Yeah, you know, like yeah. four or five of those guys will just start calling themselves bloods. Yeah, you know, and so they never actually got initiated by a real blood, yeah. quote unquote. But because they feel like they're the, that's the whole re- the reason why you have people that be quote that be in the same game, yeah. Crips fighting Crips or Bloods fighting Bloods because they live on a different street. Because there is no organization of it. It's mm-hmm. just these guys decided to call themselves Blood too. Yeah, and there's nobody over there that's, that's over there regulating that's come to stop you from using their name. Yeah, exactly. You know? Like there will be people that will be Crips and they've never even met Tiki. It's just I'm just a Crip. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and yeah. they like they became a Crip because their cousin was a Crip, and right. you don't even know really how your cousin became a Crip either. Yeah, you know, like all you know is he's just been a crip for like ten years, and he's been, you know, and he just said, "I'll, I'll make you a crip." Here you are. Yeah, it's official, and I punch you in the face a couple times. Now you're a crip, you know. Yeah. So it's it, because you know the jumping in thing. Yeah, you so do that, have to get your ass beat. Yeah, that's like, you know, yeah. some of them do. Some of yeah. them have. Some of them come up with different rules of the yeah. things. You know, like maybe some of them be like, "You got to pull a robbery," and you know, get yeah. yourself. In the, in the crime, so we know that you in the crime with us. Yeah. You know, so it's. it's I, I think I would choose to get my ass beat. What would you choose? Uh, I don't know. If it seems like I can get away with crime, I probably would do it. Oh yeah. Um, that that seems you know more or less of an ass beating than anything uh, well, else. I think the ass beating is like I think you just have to last for two minutes. I think it's a two minute ass beat. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know the rules of it, and I don't know you know yeah. how Anybody many people that's are listening, jumping in Yeah, there. if you guys are in a gang, let us know. Is it a two minute ass beating? Because I don't think it's a long ass beating. I think, but it's a real ass beating for that two minutes like they're kicking you they're punching you they're doing all kinds of shit or you know they're jumping and you fighting yeah. back too yeah well i think it's just you know to see if you're tough i don't know if you were supposed to fight back i think you're supposed to sit there and let them beat your ass isn't oh, that the whole point no i don't think that's happening yeah i thought that was, that's what it was because you're getting jumped in why would you fight them back because they're trying to see if you ain't no punk oh that makes sense okay that makes sense i thought the whole point was just get your ass beat 
No, no, no. I don't think it's that. I don't think oh, okay. like, jumped, you're gonna even if you're fighting back. If, right. if five guys are fighting you, you're getting your ass beat. Oh, that's true. That's so true. Now, so Tookie had already you know been kicked out of high school and everything. So they built up this gang, and their gang ended up outnumbering all the other gangs three to one. So remember, I was saying about the little neighborhood gangs and stuff like that. Well, the mm-hmm. Crips basically kind of ran them out. You know what I mean? So. As the gang expanded, you know, it became, you know, what was formed to, to basically instead of supposedly what they said it was formed to prevent, it started becoming what they were supposed to be preventing. So they started terrorizing their own neighborhoods. And it was kind of like you said, such as started getting out of control. Like everybody just started going to jail, terrorizing neighborhoods. It became something completely different. It became known for violence at this point. I mean, yeah. and there's a good amount of people that will even say that they're Crips that don't even recognize Tuki as, as being, you know, a Crip leader or a Crip lieutenant or whatever the ranks that they have. That's what I'm saying. It's became, mm. it, it really became just people's own factions of yeah. made-up stuff. It's the word Crip, but that doesn't mean that he is that type of Crip. Yeah. You know, and so they're like, we're not on that square way of whatever the heck Tuki and them do. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And we're you're supposed to be Crips. Yeah. So it's, it, it's, it's really... It's really jumbled at mm-hmm. the at at the beginning of what that is. Even mm-hmm. now, even now, I don't even really understand what a, a crip or a blood really is. I don't even know. I just know red and blue. If you ask me, crip and blood, I'm, I know which one, what color they are. But right, and what that, purpose and what makes you different from the yeah. other? You know, what's the beliefs in it? In it? And I've run into a couple of people that claim that they're in gangs, and they don't even know either. Yeah, you know, like they learn to see walk on YouTube. You know, yeah. so it's like, we're, like where where are this crip faction? Do you go to crip meetings? Do you I have do you know. pay your crip dues? I, and then you know, no one's ever saying that they're doing this. I'm like, ah, it just sounds like you and your friends just decided to start yeah. wearing this color. And it's crazy because even researching this case and th- those questions came up. I'm like, I I don't know. I don't know if they're paying crip dues or having meetings. How does that look like? Right. Well, Tookie actually ended up leading a double life because he got a job and worked at at a counselor at a boy's home. And at the boy's home, he was teaching them, don't get in gangs, you know, stay out of the street violence and stuff like that. But in, you know, the street life, they was actually recruiting young boys to be in gangs. So in 1974, Tookie's friend and co-founder Raymond Washington was sent to prison for five years for, for a robbery. And then at that point, Tookie was leading the gang on his own. But since since Raymond was gone, it was like he couldn't control it. It just completely got out of control. And they actually started splitting into different sections of the crib. So that's kind of like what you were talking about. So the gun violence started escalating. And then when Raymond Washington got out of prison, he didn't even recognize the Crips anymore. He was like, this is something completely different than what we created. But he ended up getting killed in a drive-by shooting in 1979. Mm. Now, a lot of the Crips at this point was either murdered or incarcerated. In 1976, Tookie was actually shot in a drive-by shooting while sitting on the porch of his house. He was in Compton. And so he was shot by members of the Bloods. So the bullets hit both of his legs. And at that point, he was told that he would never walk again by his doctor. But he was able to regain his ability to walk after a year because of physical therapy. And, you know, he was always working out. So he actually defied the odds by being able to walk again. Mm. Now, after this incident, though, Williams actually developed a substance abuse problem and he started smoking PCP. Now, I don't know if any of you guys know about PCP, but that shit is no joke. Like, that shit, I, I heard it makes you, like, hallucinate and it's just, it has you on. 
Yeah, I've only seen it in movies. Yeah. Rep- well, I haven't actually seen it in movies. I've heard references to people. Like, I think it was in Terminator when he was like, he must be on PCP. That's yeah. how he can take a bullet into the face. I heard that shit just. Uh, isn't that the one that makes people eat people's faces? Did you hear about the dude that was hella I think it was PCP. And he was like trying to eat people. Oh, no. I never heard of yeah, that. Yeah, that was like recently. Y'all have to look that one up. Yeah, we have to listen to some PCP cases and mm-mm. see what it does. So, at this point, Tookie became friends with a pimp who would give him drugs and money for completing just errands, you know, for him. And also, Tookie's grandmother died, and he was very close with him, very close with his grandmother, and she died. So, he started going through a lot. And at the same time, he lost his counseling job because he was implicated in a robbery that was committed by two youths from the group home that he was counseling. So, they was like, you know, that was his fault. So, he lost his job. And on top of that, he was denied the opportunity to compete in an amateur bodybuilding contest because because they were saying they found out about his gang affiliation and that was like his passion. So he was he was um sad about that. He did appear on the Gong Show, which was a show in the seventies where you can you know, you like showcase your talent. It was kinda like, um, what was that what was that show where you um you like sing or you dance or whatever? America's got talent? something like that but it was something in the 70s star search yeah star search so it was a show like that in the 70s i didn't know about it, it was a gong show so it, but the only thing difference is if you wasn't doing good they would hit the gong i guess he did really good he did his bodybuilding routine and there's pictures of it on the website so he actually would have had a really good future he could have been a wrestler or anything if all this stuff wouldn't happen mm-hmm. because they was like he was a really good bodybuilder and he he performed it was called a pose down routine <clears throat> so Eventually, he had a very bad stint from the PCP, and he ended up in the psych ward in the hospital. So he basically started using a lot of, you know, PCP when he got out, and he would basically intimidate drug dealers. So he would get his PCP by intimidating and robbing drug dealers. Wow. Yeah. Now, February 28th, 1979, that happens to be my daughter's birthday. This is when all this shit goes down right here. So, well, not the 1979 part, but February 28th is my daughter's birthday. good guy. Yeah. Well, I was like, wait a minute. No, no. I was not even on Earth in 1979. But on February 28th, 1979, according to these, this is all going to be according to the court documents. This is what I'm about to talk about now. So, Tookie was hanging out with his friends named Daryl, Alfred Blackie Coward, and Bernard Whitey Trudeau. So, they all drove. Blackie and Whitey. Yeah. So they all drove to the home of another man named James Garrett. Now, at this point, Tookie kept a 12-gauge shotgun at James Garrett's house. So he went over there to pick up his gun. And then they started plotting robberies at that point while they was at, you know, his house. So then they stopped at another man's house named Tony Sims. And this one, they kind of, you know, try to figure out, like, what location they were going to rob and stuff like that. So later they went to another residence. They just did a lot of errands. So they went to another residence and Tookie then obtained a 22 caliber pistol as well. Now at this point, they all went out and they, you know, try to find a place to rob. Now they came to one place and Tookie stayed in the car and his friends got out and they started walking around. I guess they were surveying. It was like a little liquor store. They were surveying and then they went up to the cashier and they asked him, you know, hey, do you have a cigarette? And the cashier gave them a cigarette. They smoked it and then they walked out and they left because, you know, I don't know why they decided that wasn't the place to rob that day. Now, then after that, they went to a 7-Eleven where 26-year-old Albert Lewis Owens was working. 
So Tookie, so they all got out the car. Something must happen because you told me this guy's name and age. Yeah. So yeah, this this is where the shit all goes down. So at this point, Tookie's friends, they all go to the cash register. Tookie pulls out a gun on him and walks him to the back like a storage closet that they had in the back. And so the guys, they actually stole all the money out and Tookie shot him in the back. At the, at the, so they left with $120 mm. So after this robbery. So and um, so the reason Tookie <coughs> said that he murdered him was because he didn't want to leave any witnesses behind at that point. Stupid is part of the crime. Stop robbing people for $120, right? I mean, yeah. even though this was, the, this was the 70s, 80s, okay, $120 is a lot more than it is now, but it's still not life-changing money. No. What was that case that we did where someone was killing somebody for $2,500? That's not a lot of money. I don't know. Oh, it was the Aaron Caffey case. Remember um, her boyfriend? Her boyfriend told his friend to come. He'll give him $2,500. Yeah, something about the children or something like that. Yeah. I was like, that is such a small amount, and especially to take someone's life. That is just, man. I often said on this podcast, I will not say what the amount is, you know, to take someone's life. But I can tell you it's not $120. Right. It's not that. It's not that. I mean, and for me to pull a robbery and take a chance of going to jail and all that. Yeah. It's it's not, especially $120 three ways. That's that's not even I was just thinking about that. Right. And then you got to split it, too. Uh Uh-uh. So it was said because Chucky was high on PCP. So it said that he kind of like, you know, was laughing about it and stuff like that. And he was like, he just didn't want to leave any witnesses. Now, on March 11th, 1979, Tookie went into the Brookhaven Motel, which was run by 76-year-old Yin Yi Yang, his wife, 63-year-old Tsai Shai, their daughter, Yo Chin Yang, Lin, and their son, Robert. Now, they were all- That's funny as hell. The names what? and oh. then Robert. I, that's what I said too. I was like, I wonder why his name was Robert. Maybe right, he went by Yo Chin. Yeah, maybe, Yo Chin is your sister, but you're Robert. But I'm thinking maybe he just went by Robert because he had to have maybe a longer name. I don't he know. had to have an yeah. Asian name, and they was just like, you like being American? That's what you. You like the white women? Oh my god! He's <laughs> like, I want the normal name. I want the name like they have the uh. Roberts and the Bobbies. Uh. <laughs> So they were immigrants from Taiwan. So at that point, Tookie entered the motel lobby, broke down the door that led to the private office. He shot the husband, the wife, and the daughter. Now, Robert, because, yeah, he shot all three of them. Tookie did? Yeah, Tookie went in there with his shotgun and shot all three of them. Wow. Yeah. And so now, Robert, he had been, because they also lived at the motel, too. So I guess their living quarters and their, you know, the office was kind of close to each other. Robert had been sleeping in the bedroom with his wife at the motel. He heard the screaming, and then he came in there to look to see what was going on and found his whole family murdered, and the cash register was empty at that point. Witnesses said that Tookie, you know, would brag about what he did. He referred to the victims as Buddha heads because they were Asian. And so, yeah, so this was a horrific murder. Yeah. Now, at this, Tookie was arrested. Now, at this point, I couldn't find, like, how they found him. I couldn't find, like, like how the arrest went or anything like that. Just after this and the research, it says Tookie was arrested. Uh, there wasn't a lot of details. However, at this point, Tookie maintained his innocence. He says he didn't kill anybody. Now, while waiting for trial, he actually planned to escape. So this is how this was going to go down. 
he was going to have some of his gang members and his cohorts on the outside stop the transport bus and kill any deputies that was on the bus. Then they were going to blow the bus up so that nobody could notice that he was gone right away because there'll be this whole big old fire and everything. However, someone actually snitched about the whole plan and so that went awry. So the escape plan didn't happen, but this was a whole plan that they had set up. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was like, that's like something out of a movie. That was going to blow the bus up and shit. That's crazy. Well, set it afire. Yeah. (laughs) Man. And so at the trial, though, now this is the evidence that they found at the trial because he's at trial now. There was the two shells recovered from the 7-Eleven matched the shells that was at the motel as well. So... So he, so he shot the guy in the back with a shotgun. Yeah. Uh-huh. So he, so the same shotgun was used to shoot the people at the motel as well. Mm-hmm. So ballistics did state that it came from the same gun. They brought in a ballistic expert. And also the transfer ownership paper showed that it was his gun. So stupid is part of the crime, right? Don't use your own gun to commit yeah, don't a murder. Use a registered gun. The registered you. gun? Like. Wow. That's why I was like, okay, like, were you trying to get caught? But then again, he was on PCP. So it's like, you was not. Wow. Now, witnesses, they brought in witnesses. Witnesses said that he was (laughs) bragging about what he had did. Also, his co-defendants, remember he had people, you know, with him. The dudes, you know, I guess that they had agreed to testify against him so that they could get lower sentences. Mm, mm, mm. And so, and that's one thing I say stupid as part of the crime too. A, what do I say? Don't tell anybody what you did. And B, I don't even know if I believe in co-defendants. It's like, because co-defendants, they're going to turn on you. I feel like they are, especially when you have that many people and they get scared that they're going to get time. They're going to turn. Well, I I will say on, it's kind of like, it's kind of like an unspoken contract when you're going to commit a crime is yeah. what I'm understanding. And, and just, you know, just kind of a lot of the things that I, I've been gathering, just uh, hearing of interactions mm-hmm. and even having some friends that, you know, in that real life stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, it's kind of a contract that you give them when you talk to them about whatever the crime is going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we're going to go in here, we're going to rob this guy, it's going to be easy money, we're just going to be in and out, da 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 So when you label it out, this is what the person signed up for. When you go in there and you shoot somebody, yeah, some people are like, "Whoa!" Now I wasn't signed uh, up for this level of crime. Yeah, now that makes sense though. That right? does make sense because you know they was plotting a robbery. Never nowhere did they say there was going to be a murder that was going right. To happen. So yeah. and that's a whole different time. That's a whole different police force is even looking for you. Yeah, that's a whole different like if they how they're even going to interact when they come around and trying to arrest you. Yeah, if you are a murderer. Yeah, you know, like you have a high probability of being shot on sight sometimes, right? Just because of the fact that they know you are a shooter. Yeah, um, see that does make sense because I and, and you know there's been other cases like that. It's like to where you know they sign up for one thing and it's a whole another thing, and it's like oh no, this is out of control. Right, <laughs> right. I mean, it, it sounds crazy to be asking for some sort of order in the chaos. Yeah, but that is what you kind of you're you're making a verbal contract. Yeah, in which these two. So that's why I'm like the part of it. They are like I don't know if they were even aware. Yeah, and if you're gonna sign in with that, you got to be a forward. Like, hey, I plan on shooting somebody. 
Right. That, you, know. you know, and this wasn't the first case that I heard that a lot of times people are not honest or things just go bad and all of a sudden, like, like he took him in the back room while they was robbing the cash register. So it's like you shot him kind of, you went rogue. Yeah, you went rogue. You went out, you went out of the, the mission parameters. Right. Like, <laughs> like he was in there. We probably had masks on. If you didn't, y'all need to work on that. We're planning ahead right. too. Okay. Uh, so he, and now he's in the back room. So we don't even know if he can even really identify anybody. So yeah. you just kill him. Yeah, you're right. And as being a person, especially being a black society, and you know that uh, you don't want to be part of anybody's murder. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, unless you're, unless that's what you signed on initially. Yeah. But if it's a surprise murder, and everybody knows a black society, it means all of y'all killed. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's true. I, I've seen people, though, we've read cases where the guy was just in the car, and he got 50 years. Yeah, we did. You know, huh? like, yeah. good God, you didn't, you didn't have a gun, you didn't see the gun, you wasn't by the gun, right. but you still got time, like, you killed somebody. You're right, and you know what, and yeah, that's like a whole other different animal, so where it's almost like, you have to testify, otherwise they're gonna think you was a part of that murder. You're gonna, it's not gonna think, they're gonna yeah. charge you as if you were. Yeah, because you didn't testify. Right. Yeah. So now, now, the only thing, I mean, the defense didn't really have a lot, but what they did try to work with is that they said that the people that was testifying against Tookie is thugs. You know, you can't trust their word. They were right there at the robbery with him, and, you know, they try to do everything they could to discredit that testimony, you know? Mm-hmm. But they really didn't have much because there was the evidence was just so high against Tookie. Now, on March 13th, 1981, the, the jurors did find him guilty, and at that point, when he got a guilty verdict, he looked at all the jurors. He threatened them. He said, I'm going to get each one of you motherfuckers. And he was, like, threatening them, and he was looking at them. Oh, yeah. And then, at that point, he was sentenced to the death penalty for these murders. Now, he spent his first 10 years at San Quentin as still the leaders of the Crips in prison, because there was some Crips in prison as well. He spent six years in solitary confinement, and that's because, you know, he was still doing a lot of violence and, you know, doing all the gang activities. So they kept him six years in solitary confinement. Now, during this time of solitary confinement, this is when he started changing his whole way of thinking. And he started really thinking about what he did, and he started really, like, just thinking, like, gang violence is not good, and, you know, he wanted to change his whole life around. So during this time, he made friends with a lady named Barbara, Barbara, I gotta get her last name. Barbara, I think it's Nacelle. I don't even know if I can pronounce it right. <laughs> like Barbara Nacelle. So he made friends with her. And what she was, she was an editor. And she became like his best friend. And they started, he wrote nine books. And some of them was including children books. Telling kids, you know, stay away from gangs. And, you know, don't go down the path that he did. He also wrote some adult books about his life as well. How many years in it before he started writing these books? So, uh, so he had already been, so the first 10 years. So it was 10 years after these crimes. Okay. So if it was 1981, so, so I want to say he started writing in 1991, 1992. So about 10 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And these books actually became nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize, like multiple times too. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of people were not happy with this nomination because they're like, you're letting a convicted murderer on death row because this is a very big nomination, the Nobel Peace Prize. A lot of people wasn't happy with the fact that he's getting nominated for this. They didn't think that he deserved it. But... You know, he did have a lot of regrets. and But people were like, well, that doesn't wipe away the four murders that he did. There was a lot of celebrities that supported him, though, such as Snoop Dogg, Jamie Foxx, Jesse Jackson. They all came out and they supported him. 
And they was like, he really is a changed man. Like prison officials started saying that people really started seeing that. Like he stopped cussing. He just, you know, he like literally talked a lot about, you know, bettering everybody. And he was actually getting a huge message across to people. Like there was people that was thinking about joining gays and they didn't because of his message. Mm -hmm. So he was really reaching out. Now, the one thing though, that kind of went against him was because he refused to go through the debriefing process. So for those of you guys that don't know, the debriefing process is where you say you give up all your ties to the crypt and you denounce yourself as no longer a gang member. He refused to give that up at all. And at first I was like, okay, like, so they, so they thought that this was all fake. This change was fake because that's the one thing that you could do to prove that you change and you're like, you're not going to do it. And I was like, okay. So at first that had me questioning as well, because it's like, okay, why wouldn't you do that? So then while I was researching this case, I started listening to another podcast called Death Row Diaries. I highly recommend this process, this podcast. And the reason is, is because this guy, one of the co-hosts that's on that podcast is literally sitting on death row. He's on San Quentin's death row. He actually knew Stanley Tookie Williams and he kind of knew the process. And so he said, and he, it made a lot of sense. He said, so most of the guys that debrief when they come in, they're gang members that is just now coming into prison and they have information to give about somebody else and they're trying to get less time. So yeah, you're going to debrief because it's going to do something for you. In Stanley Tookie Williams' case, his whole thing is, you know, loyalty. And so he said he was trying to reach out to people to tell people not to join gangs. So if he would have debriefed, a lot of people probably wouldn't have listened to him because they would have been like, you turned your back to the gang members. Plus, on top of that, he had been in prison for like 25 years. He wouldn't have had any information to give. He doesn't know what's going on on the streets right now. So it wouldn't have made sense for him to debrief. So I was like, when he said that, I was like, okay, I kind of, I get that. You know what I mean? I get that from that standpoint, because at first I was like, why wouldn't you just give up the gang cop ties, you know? So if you look at it in that way, it's like two different ways of looking at it, you know? Yeah, well, I, I kind of lean in the look at it on the latter, only in a sense of what that gang meant to Tuki and how he's explained it multiple times. Mm-hmm. I've even heard that that is the origin of Crips myself as well. Yeah. What he believed in wasn't that shoot him up killing gang. Yeah. So that's something that, of course, he didn't feel the necessity even to... to disassociate with yeah because in his mind he he was doing something to, have to make something better mm-hmm. and that's exactly where it was it does make me wonder though like you know i don't know because arnold schwarzenegger he was the government at the the governor at the time and i was like arnold schwarzenegger it makes me wonder would that have saved his life you know what i mean because that was the one thing well that was one of the two things and i'll go over the other thing that he was like i don't believe that he's really changed this is changed for the good or you know so I don't know. I don't know if he would have done that. Would that have saved his life? Okay, that's one thing. And then let's so, going. Okay, so now basically at this point, Tookie ended up exhausting all his appeals. And so that request for clemency then went to Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, who deliberated for four days and denied. Now, the reason he denied the clemency was because, and he quoted, Without an apology and atonement for these senseless and brutal killings, there can be no redemption. In this case, the one thing that would be the clean, the clearest indication of complete remorse and full redemption is the one thing Williams won't do. And so, and the one thing was, remember, Tookie kept saying that he was innocent. He kept saying he never killed those people. So that was the oh, one thing. Man. Yeah, so the debriefing process was one thing. And then him admitting that he did it and apologizing was oh. another thing. And that's hard because it's like... So I, who he say killed the people? And that's the thing. He, does, he just said he didn't do it. 
And, and that was my whole thing. Like, for me personally, I do think he changed his life, but I believe he did it. All ballistics point to it. I mean, I believe he, you know, he was on PCP, so I don't know. But, I mean, for my whole thing of the matter, that does make it hard, though, because I know <clears throat> even with parole hearings, let's say somebody that is innocent, if they won't admit that they did it, it's hard for you to get out because they want to see that you're apologizing for what you did. So that makes me wonder, like, if he would have just kind of apologized. But then he's kind of in a damned if he do, damned if he don't situation because you said you didn't do it all these years. And then all of a sudden, if you come out and be like, yeah, I did it, I apologize. Now you're just going to look like you were lying just to get out the death penalty. So would he have still killed him? So I don't know. I didn't. I was not aware that he said he didn't do it. Yeah, um, this whole time he kept his innocence and said yeah. he did not do this. I, I, man, my opinion is going to be kind of long, so I'm kind of waiting towards the end on my whole life end on that but i do okay. want to hear like how he feel how this whole thing proceeds okay um because wow i didn't yeah. know that yeah. i didn't know that at all because i know you have a lot to say about it huh at the end of it well like especially just in not saying that you didn't do it like still admitting saying that you didn't do it yeah like well then this is a is a, is a, a stance in a whole different place is what I, is what i'm thinking in my mind like this is not Hey, whether or not we believe you or not, you need to now formulate this evidence. Yeah, there needs to be if, if people believe in you and they're standing behind you, then they need to be kind of doing that support too and trying to find the actual true evidence that yeah. you guys believe that is out there that is not pointing to Tuki. Yeah, because that does point to okay. So if you didn't do it, like then who did it? Because it was your shotgun, or like did one of the guys you were with do it, and you're covering for them? Because that wouldn't make sense. Like right. I mean, that and you don't seem like the type of guy that somebody would take your shotgun from you, right? So, like, what happened, bro? Yeah, yeah. See, that's the whole thing. You know, but you won't, you won't say who did it. You don't, you don't. It, like, uh, it just points too much to you. Yeah, it points too much to you to where I, I can't stand on. I was standing on the fact that you did it. Yeah, I'm trade something. I, I'm a, I have a whole. Like I said, it's a, it's gonna just come like a waterfall, but. The, the you not saying that you did it, it makes it a very hard catch-22 for the, the, the society. Yeah. So what do we do? Just because he said he didn't, just and everything points that he did, just right. let him out? Yeah, exactly. And because, like, you wrote children's books and you're saying you didn't do it, we're supposed to, like, let you out? Like, yeah, that's the whole thing. And my thing like, is... I'm, I'm not even saying... I'm talking about years before the children's book. Yeah. That, in my mind, should almost never came to, came to be. But like I said, we'll talk about that in a minute. But... Just to be saying that you didn't do it, and you're filing appeal saying you didn't do it, and no one's finding evidence anything opposite. Yeah. So it's kind of like even as your lawyer, they're like, "What am I representing? Am I still say you just innocent?" Like, yeah. Because okay. even at That's trial, his defense one. attorneys couldn't even say anything. But all these guys are thugs. You can't trust their words. They had no evidence to point to anybody else doing it. Right. So. So, because um, after Arnold Schwarzenegger, basically, he denied that, at that point, it was time for Tookie to be executed. Now, on de- at 6 p.m. December 13th, Tookie was, he ate his last meal, which was oatmeal and milk. That's what he requested. Which I was like, man, I could think of a hundred million better last meals than that, but... I mean, it's probably what he ate regularly because he's a, a person. The bodybuilder. Body but I'm like, at that point, does it matter about your bodybuilding stuff? Because I'm mean, going in. I mean, you kind of don't want to think of it as your last one. You yeah. Know? I think that a lot of death row inmates feel like at that last minute, there's going to be a call that's going to come in for clemency like or something like that, you know? Because I've heard that too, down to the very minute, you kind of have hope. 
Right. Yeah. You know, so you don't want to eat it like it's your last meal. Yeah, that that makes sense. Now, at this point, Tookie was strip searched. He was given clean clothes, and he was led into what's called the death watch cell, where that where you basically just watch TV until it's time for you to get led into the execution chamber. Now, a lot of people held a candlelight vigil outside. And there was, you know, people were protesting. There was some people that was for the death penalty, against the death penalty. You know, people was, you know, protesting against Arnold Schwarzenegger. This became a very big thing because so many people were standing behind Tookie. Mm-hmm. Now, the execution started at 12 p.m. And it lasted about 35 minutes. And this doesn't usually last this long, but Tookie was so big and so massive. Like, remember, he had 22-inch biceps that he was such a big guy that they couldn't get the first needle in. They was having a hard time getting his needle in because his arms were so big. At some point, (laughs) yeah, they was poking him so many times that he even asked, hey, are you even doing that right? And then a female guard came over there and comforted him and, like, you know, patted his shoulder and everything. And on top of that, after that, it took even more drugs to kill him because he was just so massive and stuff like that. That's why it took 35 minutes. So he went in at 12 and he was pronounced dead at 1235. Now his friend, his best friend that I mentioned, yeah, he was a big guy. You know, the guy from Death Row Diaries said that he lifted 500 pounds per day. 500. That's a lot of weight. And this is like just, I was like, wow. Now his best friend... Barbara Bissnell, the one that I mentioned earlier that was, you know, doing the children's books and stuff with him. She was one of the people that witnessed the execution. And after he died, she stood up and she screamed, I hope you know the state just executed an innocent man. And, you know, she was with him until the very end. I mean, like she even said that, you know, he looked at her, he smiled, you know, during this whole thing um, until he died and stuff like that. And she vowed to prove that Arnold Schwarzenegger was a cold-blooded killer because Tookie was innocent. Now, 2,000 people came to his funeral and Barbara Besnell and his one of his other friends went to Africa and sprinkled his ashes in a small town of South Africa. So that's what he requested. He wanted his ashes to be sprinkled sprinkled in Africa. Now, Tookie Williams did have three children. Their names was Stanley Williams IV, Trayvon Williams, and Jolianne Alphonse Williams. And so this is the part where I'm going to talk about his will because a whole big old thing came down when it came to his will. Now, Trayvon Williams came and contested his father's will because everything, Tookie left everything to Barbara Bessnell, his best friend. He, wow. She was the sole, yeah, she was like the sole, um, what do you call heir. it? Yeah, thank you, the sole heir of the will. And so Trayvon said <coughs> that this will was signed two days before his execution and because she was the sole beneficiary, he tried to say that she created the will herself. She was his editor. She was his business partner. And she was the one that drafted the will. And therefore, the will should be invalid. Now, in his claim, he also stated that because Miss Besnell was a business partner with his dad, and she was the co-editor and author of the books, she had already profited both professionally and economically from this will because, you know, she got a lot of, you know, media attention and stuff too just by being associated with him uh-huh. and a lot of publicity. Now, Besnell then retorted and said that Trayvon never publicly supported saving his father's life. And... Basically, he only cared about finances, and she said that she was the one that stood by him for the whole 13 years, helped him write his books. She sat here, and she promoted his innocence, his life, and his worth. So the court ruled in her favor. 
And so, yeah, she got to keep all the money and stuff. The court said that, you know, basically she was right. Mm. Now, I want to end, you know, this uh, segment about, because he didn't have any last words. They always ask, do you have last words at the execution? He didn't actually have any last words at the execution, but he was interviewed by some kind of radio show like hours before. And this is what he said. He said, my lack of fear of this barbaric mythology of death, I rely upon my faith. It has nothing to do with machismo and manhood or with some pseudo former gang street code. This pure faith is predicated on my redemption. So therefore, I just stand strong and continue to tell you, your audience and the world that I am innocent. And yes, I have been a wretched person, but I have redeemed myself. And I say to you that, and all those who listen and will listen, that redemption is tailor made for the wretched. And that's what I used to be. That's what I would like the world to remember me. That's how I would like my legacy to be remembered as a redemptive transition. Something that I believe is exclusive just for the so-called sanctimonious, the elitist. And it, and it is not predicated on color, race, social stratum, or one's religious background. It is accessible for everybody. That's the beauty about it. And whether others chose to believe that I have redeemed myself or not, I worry not because I know and God knows. And you can believe that all of the use that I continue to help, they know too. So with that, I am grateful. I say to you and everyone else, God bless. So take care. So that was his official final word. Yeah, that was the case of Stanley Tookie Williams. So, before you told me this whole thing, I was a person who was adamantly on Tookie Johnson's side. Mm -hmm. Adamantly. I guess a little blindly on his side Uh about, you know, whether or not he should have been killed. Um. And we'll get to that at the end of what my statement is because it's going to have the same thing, the same part of the argument that yeah. I feel needs to have. Right. Um, was he innocent? I can't say that, man. I can't either. You was with these gang guys. Yeah. You were with them when they got, somebody got a hold of guns and you was aware of that. Yeah. You were also aware that there was going to be some sort of robbery happen with armed weapons. Yeah, yeah. You was aware of that as well. Right. <clears throat> Could in some way... <clears throat> Somebody else got a hold of this shotgun that was registered to you. I can believe that. Yeah, I can believe you gave somebody your shotgun. I can't believe anybody took it from you. Yeah. But I can believe you did give out your weapons to people. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't make you innocent because that is you aiding. You're kind of in that sense like a lieutenant of crime. Yeah. That's the same reason why Al Capone was charged with murders. But he didn't actually pull the trigger. Yeah. You know I mean? Well, yeah. he actually was trying to be charged with murder. He ended up going to the bill for tax evasion. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they were trying to charge him with murders, but he never actually pulled the trigger. Mm-hmm. But it's the fact that you ordered these murders, though. Yeah, right. You were the provider and the provisionary of the the supplies for the murder as well. Maybe mm-hmm. even the transportation. You know, all this stuff. And that's the same thing in which we talked about, hey, a guy who gets in the car and he's leading you over there. You're not... So you're not innocent. Yeah. Let's... let's like, that's one of the things I'm like, man, that's hard to be uh, an aviant on getting you off of death row mm-hmm. when you're saying you had nothing to do with this. Yeah. You never said who. Like, if it's not you, then who? That's what I want to know. And it's not, well, hey, <laughs> you, even if you can't say who, 
and it's that you're going to hold that loyalty, then you also need to understand that you're not innocent. Yeah, right. Because you were a conductor in this. Are yeah. you trying to say when, and that's one of the things I'll ask them, like, when you're saying you're innocent, are you trying to say you were not in that car at all? Yeah. Where they found, your, you know, evidence of you and DNA and other people are saying that? Right, or were you not in the motel at all right. when this were people you, got murdered? Right. right, were you not there at all? Yeah. I'd have to ask that as a direct question. What is your statement then of where you was? Even if other people, what were you doing when this happened? Then? Yeah. Were you in your bed sleeping? Is that what you're saying? Is, is when when the, <laughs> when the murder went down, even at the store? Yeah. So you knew nothing of any of this. And that's the, something that is like, okay, now that, you're trying to play us off. If yeah. you say yes, you're trying to play us. Because yeah. there's too much evidence that said you were there. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, well, come on, yeah. man. And that was my thing, too. And I was like, because a lot of people was like, oh, he changed his life. But then I thought about it. Remember, he was living a double life even when he was the counselor. Remember, he was telling them, don't join gangs. And then outside, you're recruiting people. So he's good at living the double life. That's what had me questioning a lot. That's what have, That's where your heart is at. Yeah, I was like, like ah, My, my mind life, is but... like, you did want, you was down with whatever was going on. Yeah. You accepted it. That's why you jumped up and threatened people at the time. Yeah. Because you was in the mode of the person that you were, that, that, that persona that you were at that that time yeah and that's what's going to go to my the latter part of my argument death row shouldn't be that long mm-hmm. it's it sounds crazy because you did whatever you did during that time you sound like you did it on purpose you sound like you did it with intent and you sound like you didn't really want to stop because you also was going to kill cops to get out of there and, 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 and oh and yeah i forgot about up. that yeah yeah so you was not a person who was trying to be on the writer side of society he was trying to be, and even if you were saying that you started up the Crip stuff and you guys were guys that were stopping from the press of cops, you were also being a facet faction that was going to be taking down cops and doing uh, going by your own laws and your own rules and living outside of what you felt was going to be right and then taking money from business owners and people like that because you're talking about a liquor store yeah. robbery. It, well, it ended up being a 7-Eleven. Mm-hmm. So that is a chain. Yeah. But you're killing a person who's uh, definitely just a, 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 a low-income employee. Right. You know, so you Somebody, are an oppressor. Yeah. To the low-income that you said that you're trying to be a protector of. Mm-hmm. Um, so you being a participant and being aware of any of that also, to me, puts you in, puts me in the stand that you was in a mindset where you did want to be an oppressive, kind of almost terrorist type of characteristic with, with this group and effort. Mm-hmm. And he was and he was putting your energy into doing that, and yeah. he was willing to do that. That guy should have been killed. That's what I'm saying. I do believe in death row. That guy, you shouldn't have never seen the light. You should have never made it to writing books. Mm. Oh yeah, is what I'm saying. Is within ten years, you should have been dead. Mm-hmm. Your your words to the court was, "I'm gonna kill you all." Yada yada yada. Because then there'd be no question. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying is. And that's, you know, that's something that, I mean... Yeah, because he was on there almost 30 years. Yeah, who who is, who says the same thing and lives the same life and even has the same thought process yeah. as what they did at 17 when they turned 37? Yeah, no, I don't think years, anybody does, right? Right, yeah. that is, that's a complete, that's, that's the lifespan before in which you lived before. Yeah. You didn't even live 20 years, so you now did double of what your life did. You now could have been born and be 20 years old again. Yeah. 20 years and saying that you was in there in that time and thinking about it, that's a long doggone time in which that's not that. Yes, he was writing books. Yes, he was doing a lot. Yes, it was hard to see any of the things that happened before. And now he is the person that he is now almost kind of like born again 
is innocent. Yeah. That part is true in my mind. It's, mm-hmm. It sounds crazy, but the person you killed was innocent. Yeah, because you're a whole not different person. The, yeah, but not of the crimes. Yeah. But he he's now not that person. Yeah. And I can definitely see that. I mean, you maybe he was a brilliant double life liver and he was going to go back out and get back into the gang stuff and that did cause a lot of doubt with a lot of people in their minds. Yeah. Hey, I, I can't say that I, I can't say that I 100% believe it. Yeah. Um, I can't say it's not possible. You know, so it's kind of like an 80-20. Right. Like I 80% believe it. Once you said it, I was like, oh, damn, that kind of that sounds possible. Never thought about it before. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But now I'm like, hey, now that it's brought up to my attention, it could be possible. Yeah. Um, But I did believe that you're a person that changed, but you but also it was so long ago. Yeah. So much time of this has passed where you've been in here, long, like I said, you've been in here longer than you were outside. When you did the crime, you existed in society less time than when you was in jail. Yeah. You've been in there longer than you were in society. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So it's like your lifespan now has been jail. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if you gave if you was born in jail, you'd be twenty five years old. You'd yeah. be a whole ass drinking adult ready to vote and all the stuff. You could drive and have a license. Yeah. And have kids of your own by that time. That's true. Because like, he was in his fifties when he got killed. He was like fifty two. Right, that's why I'm like it's, yeah. it's way too long. That's way too long to kill him off. Yeah. He's already he served his time for the crime in which he did do. Twenty five years is a long time for anybody a lot of things for anybody a lot of crimes, man. So do That's you think that time. Arnold Schwarzenegger should have just give, given him the clemency, like the life with no parole instead? Uh, I don't I was, believe in life with no parole either. So the, so but what, I should believe that he should have been killed earlier. Yeah. But I mean, but by the time it reached Arnold Schwarzenegger's desk. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't. I don't like that. I don't. I don't like that system and having somebody life without parole. And I don't yeah. really like that option at all. But the lesser of two evils, yeah. At that time, it's too late to start trying to kill you, man. Yeah, it, it, it you know, it was because it's, it's so long, you know, yeah. it was so long, you know, and it, it went all the way up. And I was like, and I was just thinking, I don't know if that would have saved his life. It, it was like a, a double, like I said, I feel like it was a catch twenty two. Why Arnold Schwarzenegger said he wouldn't save his life because he wouldn't admit to it, he wouldn't debrief. But I'm like, so if he would have did that, is Arnold Schwarzenegger said he would have saved him? You know, what you mean? Don't, so I, don't I don't know. know. When, you, when you say yeah. he didn't do it, I, I, that's what for me. That, yeah, it, it, I was a person that had a decision. I'd be paused. Yeah, because you like, can't say. Come he on, didn't. man, yeah. you're not complete. What do you mean he didn't do it? Yeah, I'd have to talk to some people and ask, like, what is his side of the story? What is he explaining then? Right, because there is, you know, a case, and we're gonna cover it in about two weeks. Where this guy, you'll see, like, I we're not really sure if he did it or not. You know what I mean? But with Tookie, all signs point that he did it. There's no other, you know what I mean, explanation. So that's why that kind of gave me pause. Are you were I was there? Like, yeah. The thing is, is, if you didn't do it, you were there. Yeah. And you, yeah. So that's the thing that is kind of... And by you being... Yeah, my thing is... That you didn't do it, and, you're, if you're, and if you're there, you're not innocent. And you were the leader of the, you know... If right. You, Nobody's the leader. Not nobody like you, Tuki. Yeah. You somebody who's, you know, like the average Joe, even you, be like, I was there, but I didn't do it. And you yeah. can kind of believe, be like, okay, she might have got kidnapped or punked, and somebody was smacking her in the mouth a couple times. Yeah. But Tuki, nobody was doing that to you. Yeah, you're the leader of the you're game. You're the leader, like, and you're uh, you're a man Hulk. Yeah, you, it's like a, a sexy chocolate, incredible Hulk walking around there. Yeah, so who's punking you? Like right. you, you cannot, you're unpunkable. You, right? Who made <laughs> you do this? Yeah, it doesn't sound like you was that type of person in the position in which it was. You were still delegating people from in jail to then do stuff for you outside of jail. Yeah. So no, 
That does that's where it makes it kind of like mm. yeah you almost got people to break you out of jail yeah. so it's like yeah it, it like, makes it, it it's not it's not that is not I can't swallow yeah so with that being so much so where you're just not gonna admit anything it's almost like in a in a, in a position the only person position I can compare it to is being a parent because mm-hmm. I mean I've never been able to, to I've never been in a position to laser down on anybody's life of what's gonna happen to them and their livelihood yeah but. If, if I will say, well, I have done it with you know siblings too and, and friends. Yeah. And I will say, if you're if, if I look at you and be like, bro, I have fifty dollars sitting on this table, and you're gonna be like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, and you're just gonna continue to be like, I don't, right. I, I have no yeah. idea. Yeah. I didn't even see it sitting there. Like, yeah. but it was all in ones. You know what I mean? Like, if it's something that's hella right. obvious, like it was yeah. a big ass pile of money sitting there, you didn't yeah. see it, and it's all you, gone now, and <laughs> you don't have no idea. Yeah. You're like, I'm, I completely don't know. I can play. I'm telling you, I don't. Yeah. Like that's. For me, I can understand in the sense of where I'm just not going to mess with you then, bro. Like, okay, fine. Fine. Cut off. It's done. Yeah. Boop. I don't care. I'm going to... It's almost like I'm going to treat you like you're guilty. But I can't say whether you are or aren't. Yeah. But I will say that I don't trust you no more. Yeah. I will say this that whatever our relationship was has been dissolved. Yeah. Until I, I find a logical reason on what happened to that. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think for him, it's like... That's that bad part of it. You're just gonna say you didn't do anything. I can't just let you walk off with that, bro. Like, yeah. come on, right? Like that's yeah, that's a little far stretch to say you didn't do. Even if you was say, you know, I was high on PCP, something like I did it. Like, just uh, take uh, responsibility. Or beat like you was. I was there. Like, yeah, yeah. I gave Charlie my gun and he went in there. He kind of looked like me because he buff. Yeah, like you know, I wouldn't even say tell on nobody, but you'd be like, I was there. Yeah. I'm not going to say what happened, who did what, but I was there. I didn't do it, though. Yeah. I I would take that. Yeah. But, okay. Yeah. But what do you mean when you say you didn't do it? Right. Is this? Are you trying to say it was a government conspiracy and it was up to a white guy that snuck in your house with rubber gloves and took the <laughs> shit and planted your body and DNA right. shit over there? You know what Sounds I mean? Sounds like, like, yeah. And it had sightings of people go over there with a black mask that made it look like you. Like, come on, how far are we going with this shit? Yeah. Because I, I talk to people that have... I mean, it sounds like I'm saying it as a joke, but I talk to people that say crazy conspiracy shit like that regularly and really believe it. Yeah, see, and that that brings us back to the like, conspiracy theories. Yeah, you're right. And I, yeah, it's... I talk to people regularly. That I think I told you, like, where they believe, like, you know, people, pre- presidents' wives and presidents are driving by their house to come listen to their conversations. Like, That's they crazy. believe it. Yeah, they look me in my eyes and tell me about it. I think that I'm going to put a poll out there for our listeners. Like, should Tiki Williams' life have been saved? I think that, because that's a big, there's such a big line between half people say yes, half people say no. So I'm going to put a poll up on this episode, and I'm going to go over the results of the poll. Like the next, okay. Yeah, because I want to know, like, what do you guys think? Should his life have been spared, or should it have just been, is it just done? I mean, it's going to forever be the 50-50, because it's something that, when you got charged with the crime, that person, like I said, when he was charged with the crime, that person needed to die. Yeah. That, he got the right call, right penalty, right stuff. I mean, like, you try to even break out while we're sitting there charging with the crime, you should have been dead that weekend. Yeah. And you threaten the jury, so I'm going to get each one of you right. motherfuckers. And, oh, the only, and the only reason why you're there to say it is because your breakout attempt didn't work. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you should have been dead. Yeah. They should have fried you like the dude from Green Mile. Oh gosh, I forgot about that movie. Oh, that was gruesome. Didn't they have to like kill him like twice or something because he didn't die the first time? Or no, am I thinking about died. a different movie? It was a, it was, you're talking about the guy that was sitting there trying to be 
uh, bitter to the uh, French dude, and so yeah. he put the water on his head. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, and he ended up burning up. Oh gosh, yeah, that was gruesome. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's what, that's what I'm saying is that guy did deserve the death penalty, and I think if they would have did it in a more of the timely manner, this wouldn't even be a conversation of it. Yeah. I, yeah, we definitely wouldn't be sitting here talking about it because it would be like, oh, he died in the first ten years. And that, yeah, would and care. it would have been the way it ended. Like he was, he was, he was there. He threatened the jury. He tried to get out. He then went in there and being violent. And in the, in the, and when he was in there, he was violent to the people there and started causing so much stuff that he had to be solitarily confined. Then he was executed. Yeah, he'd just sound like a crazy criminal. Yeah, it was then the, the the allotment of too much time in which it was the whole thing of being conversion of to another person. And the, and and the mindset of what you was, honestly, it's just it sounds messed up. But you're still on the same path. You're still on the same penalty where that guy did put you in this situation. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason why I'm like, yes, he still should have died because that guy put you here. Yeah. Even though you transformed and you're different. Yeah. But we should not have. We should not bear witness to too much of that for our own suffering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I I agree, especially because he said he didn't do it. I think that's what really. Like for me, it, it kind of sways me the other direction. So I'm like, you have you didn't take any kind of accountability for anything, right? Because I honestly believe <clears throat> with enough penalization mm. for people being like, just if that's what you know, kind of like the Catholic Church kind of you know believed in back in the days in medieval times, where they're like, if you lock somebody in a room and beat them enough, they'll conform. Oh, I you know, believe they'll that. be like, okay, fine, I won't do this anymore. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Is so you can have Jeffrey Dahmer in there. You can have Hitler in a room if you're beating him enough to where he's gonna be like, okay, I'll stop killing people. But is that okay though? Like, is that okay that he was a person killing millions of people before that moment? Yeah. Before we had to take him in this room and beat him for years. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, that doesn't make that person not who that was. If he didn't get caught in this room and yeah. get beat down and submission and submission and submission, they wouldn't be this person. Well, that is that is true because how many other people was he going to rob and, and, and kill? You know what I mean? If he would have never got caught after these four people, that would have been a continuous, you right. know, the robberies would have just kept happening. It would have definitely been deputies. Oh, yeah. It would have definitely been that. At least three or four deputies, whoever's on that bus. That's what we can say yeah. as a true fact. Yeah. That's definitely. how many other people would have been killed. Yeah, definitely. Well, this was a very interesting case. Good pick, Buddha. Even though you said you didn't pick it, but whatever. You brought it to my attention, so thank you for that. I did actually enjoy researching this one and stuff like that. So Yeah, this is this was one that you can talk about over some, some uh, drinks for a while. Yeah. Man. Yeah, do you know what we're going to cover next week? I never know. We are going to be covering the case of Catherine Knight. This case is going to take place in Australia. Do you know? Have you heard of her before? I'm going to say, yes, I've heard of Australia. But no, oh, no, I don't know who Catherine Knight is. So Catherine Knight was, was she, the... Brian McKnight's little sister? No, no. She's the lady that killed her husband and was going to feed him to his kids. Jesus, what do you be reading? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a good one next week. God. So, yeah. So you're going to be ready for I that I am going to never let you read my children's bedtime stories. <laughs> the stuff that you find interesting is going to be crazy. This is a scary, scary lady that we're about to talk about. All this stuff is scary. Yeah. You scare me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> your interest in the scary. Well, we're going to get out of here because we're going to eat our dinner now, aren't we? 
yes, yes, fine. Let's go out here and enjoy some a meal together. Yeah, that pizza that we waited too long for. I wasn't even hungry no more as long as they made us fucking wait, right? Oh man, nah, I didn't. I didn't want to. For a second, I didn't want to have nothing to do with pizza just because that guy. Oh god, he looked so disgusting. Yeah. I was sitting there like, he didn't touch our pizza, did he? I had to reassure you at least nine times. <laughs> Like, I'm, trust me, I'm watching. He's not touching our food, man. <laughs> if it was, I wouldn't have, got, I wouldn't have got accepted it either. So, I, I would have been like, and then I'm kind of glad that they didn't even start making it until he left. The right, building. me too. Because I would have felt like the asshole. I would have been like, um, you're going to need to remake that because. <laughs> because it's, it's not. FDC, whatever the fuck ever, man, it's not meeting standards. I promise you. That man left a flea or something. <laughs> well, you guys, until next week. So you can find us at um, on Instagram. Please follow us at Hot Garbage Show. And also, we are on Facebook. So join us for the discussion group. It's called Hot Garbage True Crime Edition. And I have a TikTok, Author Nisha. So make sure that you follow us all there. Until next week. So take care and watch your back out there. <laughs>